Welcome to In My Town with Emery Hayes, Season 1, Podcast 8, No Neutrality. All material herein under the laws of copyright. I strive to be transparent in these podcasts. I think I make it pretty clear that I like where I live, and that when we write from our experiences, it tends to be the most authentic writing we do. By the time we have a finished piece, whether short story or novel, poem or play, it's easy for us to trace our way back home. Yes, what we've produced is fiction, but the pages also hold pieces of truth grafted to what's been created. It's those pieces that give the story weight, that make the human experience recognizable and relatable. It's the connective tissue between story and reader, author and audience. 2020 has been a year of swiftly moving currents. I recently posted to Facebook about my growing concerns here in my town, and that post follows. I've included it because not to seems like hiding an ugly truth. I've included it because together these random acts have ignited fear in me. And as you will see, it's from these recent experiences that I came to my free write. I struggled with what to do. I tend not to be political. I don't like to air my private life. I'm a fierce protector when it comes to my kids. And really, a big part of me just wants to gather them up and run and hide. But I feel called to do more. I know I have a responsibility to do more. I believe we are either part of the solution or part of the problem. There is no neutral territory. There is no remaining silent. As a friend recently said, the burden of changing hearts is heavy. But I believe if we share that weight, it is manageable. The internal argument for me ran along these lines. I fight for kids every day, the most vulnerable of children in our society. Can't this be someone else's fight? And the answer is no, which became abundantly clear to me when the fight arrived at my door, literally. I was a vulnerable kid, raised by flower children in a home rife with drugs and domestic violence, and so I was made for championing them. When I do readings or author talks, I'm often asked where I get my story ideas from. I get them from her. I will not forget her or leave her behind. There's a piece of her in every book I've written, whether young adult or mystery or woman's lit. And I realized a long time ago that he equips us. He made me with purpose, and one of them is to fight for the vulnerable. I believe every one of us has that soft spot, bruised almost certainly by life experiences. Why is it so hard for us to look at our vulnerabilities, our truth? How easy has it become to turn away from our greatest common factor, our endless capacity to love? Can we now acknowledge that the alternative is often a path towards destruction? Frederick Douglass said it well, I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others, rather than to be false and to incur my own abhorrence. I have a deep understanding of words. They are both a feather and a hammer in the hand. We can float on them for days, or they can shatter the soul. With that in mind, I first want to say this. I want this to be remembered in light of my Facebook post. I believe most policemen and women are good. They are honorable, driven by a desire to help. 
They take pride in their work and are not concerned so much about rising as heroes as they are about having made their community a better place for everyone. They are men and women of integrity. Defunding police has become a catchphrase with a plethora of meanings. I don't buy into it. Tasked with the impossible job of not only managing, but indeed bumping up against the expectation that they solve societal ills, homelessness, drug addiction, mental health crises, which are better handled by counselors or social workers, police are overworked and their personal reserves taxed. There needs to be a shift in responsibilities here. Let police fight crime and others pick up the mantle of needs that fall outside that purview. And there needs to be more hiring of women and minorities so that police reflect the community in which they serve. That said, I do wish the good would speak up and out about those in the ranks who are not. That be true to yourself piece Frederick Douglass was talking about. I believe we need a cultural change inside the ranks of police, and this may be the only way it's achieved. More police training, more accountability, laws that protect all citizens, and social policy that is inclusive and uplifting of all races are necessities. The killings must stop. Please, please stop killing and hurting each other. Because yes, black lives matter absolutely, but so do blue lives. Every life on this planet matters. God is no respecter of persons. He loves us all equally. And his directive to us is very clear. Love your neighbor. Now to my post. I don't let my children walk to school. Last year when my oldest was a junior, I finally relented for her a decision that caused me a lot of anxiety. And that same year, she was approached by a young man as she walked between classes who got in her face and mocked her by speaking fake Chinese. Not a first incident, but the most aggressive. Last month, a man wore a KKK hood while he did his grocery shopping in our town's Vons. He was approached by customers and employees, but refused to remove it. It made the national news. And a week after that, Another man wore a swastika mask to another grocery store in town, removing it only when approached by a sheriff's deputy. We have great neighbors. It's quiet here, peaceful, and I believe there's a whole lot more good here than bad. But I don't let my kids walk to school or ride their bikes without me along. They don't run into the store to grab a carton of milk while I idle in the car or even into the 7-Eleven, though I'd be able to watch their progress through the windows. The truth is, I knew it would be like this that I would have to be extra cautious with them. I knew I would have to protect their rights and that they would have more of mom beside them than most kids their ages. I knew they wouldn't have the same autonomy as some kids, not nearly the same. My children are adopted from China. I fight racism the only way I know how, by raising children who walk in love, who extend kindness, who find beauty in differences. I fight it by showing up at their schools after an incident to let administration and teachers know the bullying is unacceptable. I fight it by standing beside those who are facing an injustice if I'm aware of it. I fight it by breaking through my introverted ways and saying hello and smiling to people I pass in the grocery store or on my jog, at work or at play, because I believe absolutely that we are all made in his image. We are all beautiful and worthy of love and to act any differently hurts the heart of God. Still, I live with fear, sometimes no bigger than a kernel stored deep in my heart, and sometimes it swamps me. I fear for my children. 
My daughter took this photo. That's a sheriff's deputy standing in my front yard. I waited to call them. I don't want to overreact. I don't want to use up our resources, especially at a time like this, when police are probably spread thin. But first, there was anti-Chinese propaganda left on my doorstep. A few days later, a would-be intruder pried the screen half out of a back window before he fled. I think he noticed the security camera. On this day, a dead rat had been left for my discovery. I had spent a week removing the old lawn and a week laying the new, and the rat was placed at my stopping point from the day before. The officer mentioned that most people aren't racist, which of course I know. But three blocks away, a man proudly displays a Confederate flag. Recently, the Los Angeles Times ran a story about my town, mentioning its history of racially motivated attacks. The Washington Post ran a story last month stating our town is known by the nicknames Clan T and Santucky. And it's true. I thought it was a long time ago that things here had improved drastically. When I bought my house, I did it because I wanted a safe neighborhood and a big backyard my kids could play in. I wanted what most parents look for and believed this would be it for us. I am stunned that the police shrugged this off, given the climate in my town. I know it's just a few people causing the trouble, but they seem to have an eye on us. It saddens me that the officer couldn't be bothered to look at the anti-Chinese rhetoric left on my doorstep, that he saw no red flags. I guess attempted break-ins don't make the cut for concern. I support our police. I'm grateful they're here to protect us, because they are, aren't they? I lay awake at night and wonder if the house alarm goes off, if the police are called, will they come? And tonight I take comfort in neighbors who I know will hear calls for help and step up. It's long past time for protest, not looting, not violence, but peaceful protest where people of all color, persuasions, genders, religious beliefs, lock hands and never let go. Things can't be the same next year or even next month. End of post. So the past few weeks have been rough and there are certainly times when writing is therapeutic. I encourage you this week to write from a place of vulnerability. You're still standing in the shadow of some past hurt right from there. I think you'll notice what has inspired the following scene. From my free write. I sit under the lemon tree. It's grown and heavy with fruit. Most people don't know this, but if you rub its bark, the scent of citrus rises into the air. It's clean, can scrub a bad word off a car door without peeling the paint and put highlights in hair that's already blonde. I like it because it reminds me of summer, of long afternoons and time caught in the billowing pockets of the wind. You're gonna sit there or are you gonna help? She asks. My mother's voice is the best part of her. It gives away everything. Sometimes it's love and her voice is so soft, I lean into it and find my head pillowed on her shoulder and the beat of her heart in my ears. Sometimes it's fear and it warbles like the rising sun. Today, her voice is strident. I like that word, strong and convicted. It's a voice that knows the difference between right and wrong and isn't afraid to call it out. Leon, she calls again. I don't want to touch that. I say, but I stand up, push another lemon into my pocket and walk to the driveway. The garage door is open and I can hear the dryer, the buttons and zippers scraping against the metal tumbler. You're going to have to get your hands on it, my mother says, and I can tell that it hurts her. Her voice is thorny. 
and the words catch and tear. She turns toward me, her hands wringing an old dish towel. My mother's eyes are tropical, a blue-green Caribbean ocean. She is freckled, and sometimes her hair is red, and sometimes it's blonde, and I don't think even she knows which is her natural color. I do know we are as different on the outside as a peanut from a pistachio, but we're both still nuts, and that makes me smile. My mother is good at steering us to a sunny place, but we're not going to find that here. Come on, she says. I take my time. I think about ways to avoid what's coming. I read once about a morning dove that stood over its struggling hatchling, singing until her heart burst. We can do this, my mother says. She takes a lemon from my pocket and slices it open. She places half in my palm and brings my hand to the car door, to the words that look like bloodshed. She places her hand over mine and we move that half lemon over the letters and the paint runs and soon the words leave only memory behind. This isn't going away, she says, but it's not going to define you either. But this is more than a word on a car parked in a driveway in a town in America the free. It's sitting in class with complete strangers who mad dog you for no other reason. It's being the only one uninvited to a birthday party at the door. It's the word yellow scribbled on your desk when you leave to use the restroom with slanted eyes carved above the bellowing O. She sees the truth on my face. I'm wrong about that, she says, aren't I? End of free write. Did you reach for a distant memory, maybe from childhood, or for an injustice you experienced or witnessed? Did you crack it open and look at it with a pale eye of mourning? Did you change the outcome, stepping up, when you hadn't before? Did you rally the community? Or did you leave your character sitting in the dark and then explore what that does to him or her? The more we examine what makes us vulnerable, the easier it is to look it in the eye, to become comfortable enough to walk alongside it, eventually to embrace it, to lift it up, to champion it as the best part of you and your characters. It's hard writing so close to home. It hurts, it's scary but that's you chasing the word.